0: Before I get started, I'll tell you, a few weeks ago, I was out here, and there's some burn marks right here, and I thought, this tree's not going to make it very much longer. Sure enough, it got hit by lightning, I guess, within the past month or so. That's why when you have lightning storms, you don't go to church on the beach. Let's see here. If anybody needs a chair, just come and grab this one. I just was sitting on it, so I wouldn't kill myself. Let me see here. We're going to read, before we get started, Isaiah 45, 1 through 8. I'm not sure why I picked that, but I'm going to find out in a second, I suppose. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Rain down, you heavens from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open. Let them bring forth salvation and let the righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Today we're going to talk about... uh, Genesis. uh, uh, I'll get into it in a second, but obviously that's why I picked that verse is because it deals with creation. And the 104th Psalm that I read earlier specifically deals with the days of creation that we're going to talk about. We'll we'll go ahead and say a real quick prayer to get us started and then we'll go on from there. Heavenly Father, thank you again for bringing us together. Thank you for the beautiful music that uh, Angelica plays. And um, Lord, there are those prayer requests that I mentioned earlier and any others that people have on their hearts or in their lives, whether it's Physical problems, or whether it's uh, financial troubles that some of us are going through, Uh, some of us have mental problems or uh, family problems. We all are dealing with issues in our life. And uh, I would ask that you would search our hearts, search our minds, and know the things that are lacking in our lives and that need correction, and that you will respond with favor upon each and every one of those according to your great wisdom and mercy. And uh, help us to be obedient that when you do respond, that we respond in thanks. And help us also to be obedient so that you can respond. Because when we are at enmity with you in our lives through any sin, that puts up a wall where you, uh, you... won't pass through without us confessing our our sins. so please look with favor upon that help us to understand where we're deficient in our life and correct that and uh, help us just to pursue you in all ways and at all times thank you for the opportunity to preach your word on this beautiful day and lord we love you and we praise you in jesus name amen and as some of you might know a couple of you might not but i think most people here know that grace baptist is having a chili cook-off today so uh, quite a few people are enjoying the chili. And uh, so it makes it a little more personal today. I'm, I'm happy to have everybody a little closer and uh, I don't have to talk quite as loud as I was in the past. But uh, uh, today we'll talk about Genesis chapter 1 verses 2 through 19 and it's from chaos to order. The online dictionary defines chaos as a condition or place of great disorder or confusion it defines order as a condition of methodical or prescribed arrangement among component parts such that proper functioning or appearance is achieved. Now, what we perceive in the world around us and the universe in general is reflected in the definition that is given of order, not of chaos. If you were here last week, then you should be painfully evident that what we have here in this order came about by the hand of a creator and not all by itself. In fact, There has never been an instance in known history where order has come out of disorder. As a matter of fact, it's illogical. If you take a bag of rocks, which is somewhat orderly and a little bit disorderly and shake it up, you're gonna get a lot more disorder and a lot less order out of it. And if you take the uh, parts of a watch, for example, and you put them in a bag, they will never become anything but watch parts. And if you shake them, you're just gonna get broken watch parts. Order does not by itself come out of disorder. In the article, The Fine Tuning of the Universe, we read, According to a growing number of scientists of laws and constants of nature, they are so finely tuned and so many coincidences have occurred to allow for the possibility of life, the universe must have come into existence through intentional planning and intelligence. In fact, this fine-tuning is so pronounced... And the coincidences are so numerous, many scientists have come to espouse the anthropic principle, which contends that the universe was brought into existence intentionally for the sake of producing mankind. For people to deny the precision and the perfection of the cosmos around us in every detail is impossible. So those who deny the existence of God simply acknowledge this detail, and then they attribute it to chance. Even despite numerical odds, which bring these chances to impossible numbers, rather than believing lugheads like this, we need to pull our heads out of the sand, and we need to look around us, and we need to understand that we, in, we humans, were in fact expected guests of a creation with no other recognizable purpose than to support us. As Dr. Paul Davies, the author of and uh, professor of theoretical physics at Adelaide University, he says it this way, the really amazing thing is not that life on earth is balanced on a knife edge, but that the entire universe is balanced on a knife edge. It would be total chaos if any of the natural constants were off even slightly. You see, Davies added, Even if you dismiss man as a chance happening, the fact remains that the universe seems unreasonably suited to the existence of life, almost contrived. You might call it a put-up job. Today we'll look over Genesis chapter 1 verses 2 through 19, and there is a lot of information in those verses. And we could talk actually on verse 2 for a ours probably, but what we're going to do today is we're going to grab some highlights, and we're just going to pick out the choice things from these verses, and we'll be like people walking through an apple orchard and picking out the best apple off a tree. Here's our text verse for today. To whom then will you liken me, or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. So may God speak to us through his word today and may his glorious name ever be praised. And if you see anybody come up and standing here, invite them to come and sit down. Don't, don't let them feel like they're, uh, I, I would have, but I was in the middle of talking. But if you see somebody that looks like they're interested, invite them over and have them grab a seat with us. Point number one today is the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. First, there was only God and then God created This is what Christians believe, and whether we accept it or whether we accept a Big Bang Theory does not change the fact that there was nothing and then there was something. The only difference would be the stupidity of believing that the universe could create itself. The reason why is because if the universe created itself, it would have had to have existed before it existed. A logical contradiction. So such is the depravity of man that we have to reduce ourselves in our scientific disciplines to something that stupid in order to get away from God. The Genesis account does not tell us how God created. The Psalms do, but the Genesis account doesn't. It simply gives us the account and it tells us the order in which these things took place. The creation account is only 31 verses long, and yet it has been the subject of untold hours of thought, countless books and it has been divided into an amazing number of theories. Some people believe that this account is to be taken literal as six literal days, 24 hour period days. Some people say that each day represents a time of billions and billions of years, which are representative of six epochs of God's creation. And some people say that the earth was first inhabited and then was destroyed before man was created. This particular theory is known as what's called the gap theory. And it inserts, believe it or not, an entire period of Satan's rule between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. The idea is obviously not biblical, but it came about as a knee-jerk reaction to Darwin's theory of evolution. And all of a sudden people started panicking, thinking we've got to somehow uh, justify why the Bible doesn't include all the things that have never come to pass anyway. The list of theories in addition to the cap theory, is long and it is often very convoluted. But in the end, the Bible really only presents one option. Even the honest non-believer, when they pick up the Bible, will agree that God intends for us to believe that this is a literal six-day period. James Barr, who is the Oriel Professor of the Interpretation of Holy Scripture at Oxford University, says this about the account. Probably, so far as I know, there is no professor of Hebrew or Old Testament at any world-class university who does not believe that the writer of Genesis 1 intended to convey to the readers the idea that creation took place in a series of six days, which were the same as the days, 24 hours, which we now experience. So, after the initial creation, we come to verse 2, and it says this, The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. The terminology here for without form and void is in Hebrew, tohu vebohu. And the Bible translates or translators of the Bible uh, have come across many, many different ways of translating these two words, tohu vebohu. I want to read you a couple of them that I just went through some English translations. And this is the difference between Genesis 1-1, which almost all Bibles are consistent with in Genesis 1-2. Formless and void, formless and desolate. Formless and empty, without form and void, without form and empty, void and empty, unformed and void, without form and an empty waste, empty and had no form, unseen and unready, chaos and vacancy, a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, barren with no form of life, didn't have any shape and was empty, waste and void, waste and empty, waste and wild, waste and without form, welter and waste. The same phrase, tohu vebohu, is used only one other time in the entire Bible, and it is in Jeremiah 4, verse 23, when he is speaking about the judgment of the land because of people's rejection of God. I beheld the earth, and indeed it was without form and void. and the heavens, they had no light. Verse 2 continues, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is the first distinction made in the Bible about the character of God. The word for spirit is ruach, and it also can be translated as wind. And because of this, Jewish commentaries and even some Christian translations use wind instead of spirit in this verse. But spirit is a far more likely uh, word in this context, and it makes a lot more sense. It also parallels Jesus speaking about the Spirit in John chapter 3, and it is so because of this, it is accepted by almost all Christian translators as Spirit and not wind. What should be obvious, though, is that if the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters back then, then God's Spirit is still hovering over the creation even now. So as we live, as we move, as we exist, God is hovering around us, and he is directing his creation according to his purposes and his will. Now, before we move on, we, sh- we should consider that everything about the creation account is intended to instruct us concerning the workings of God in relation to man. The earth, and in fact, the whole universe, as we saw earlier, has been made for our benefit. It was not made for God's benefit. God is complete in and of himself, and therefore what he has done and the way in which he has done it is for our benefit. Then God said, let there be light and there was light and God saw the light that it was good and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. This is day one of creation and it would have been a Sunday. So what is the light that God created at this time? It's not until the fourth day of the creation account that the sun and the stars and the moon are placed in the sky. So we're left with only a couple of possibilities. The first is that the sun and the stars were created at this time, but they weren't placed where they were now, or they weren't visible where they were now until the fourth day. Now, this is possible because a different word than create is used when the sun appears on the fourth day. The Hebrew word for create is bara, but the word used about the sun and the moon and the stars on day four is asah. And this can mean that they appeared on the fourth day, but they were actually created earlier. However, this would make a simple and obvious reading of the creation account a little bit convoluted. Just as it's easier for us to try to reconcile the Genesis account with evolution by inventing theories which accommodate both, it's also easier to reconcile this light with the sun and the moon and the stars rather than to think that maybe God imagined a different light when he created. A second word Or a second point is that the word bara and the word asah are actually used synonymously throughout the entire creation account of Genesis chapter 1. Like the sun and the stars, God made the firmament. He made the beasts of the earth and he made man, all using the word asah. But it also says that he created Adam. So you have asah and bara being used in the same context for man. At the end of the creation account and using the term asah, it says, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So you see, Barah and Asah are used synonymously throughout the entire account. Personally, I take this at face value. I think that God created light on the first day, and there is every reason to assume that when God created, all of the matter in the entire universe came instantly into existence, and then it was later rearranged by God as the rest of the account maintains. In other words, we are going to see God create the trees and the fish and the in man and all of these things, but all of the matter for these existed instantaneously and then was rearranged by God. It was made into different things. So why should we assume that the sun, the moon and the stars are any different? This is all speculation and there is debate on these, so I want you to understand that. This light then, as I believe, is part of what was created. And the reason why I say that is it is not a part of God himself because some expositors of the Bible will try to explain that this is the same light that is referred to when speaking of God. In the New Testament account it says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all for example. But the light that John was speaking about in that particular context is the very nature of God. It is not a created aspect. So what God created when he created light on the first day, it is a reflection of his nature. It is not a part of his nature. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, that particular part of that verse is exactly where the biblical day finds its home, in verse three. Each new day in the Bible starts at sundown. It doesn't start like we do at in the evening and even to this day in Israel you will see that the new day starts at sundown. Also in this account it doesn't say the first day in Hebrew it says Yom Echad so one day. It's a distinction that most translators don't follow with. As a parallel to the work of Jesus here just as God created light on the first day which was a Sunday he also brought the light of the world out of the grave on that exact same day. After the darkness of the tomb, which Jesus was in, came forth the shining splendor of the light, which can never be diminished. It can never be hidden. It is the radiant light of eternal glory. Now, before we move on, I want to tell you all about something called fractal geometry. If you don't like math, this may be a little boring for you, but I find this the most interesting thing. In 1975, a guy named Benoit Mandelbrot coined the term fractal geometry from the Latin term fractus, which can mean broken or fractured. A mathematical fractal is something based on an equation that undergoes iteration. Don't let this big word scare you, I'll explain it in a second, but iteration is the act of repeating a process usually with the aim of reaching a desired result each repetition of that process is known as iteration and the results of iteration are used for the starting point for the next iteration now this isn't meant to confuse you so just think of a computer taking an image and doubling that image and then doubling the image again and doubling it again that that is basically what iteration is mandelbrot looked at the world around him and he realized that everything that we see from the clouds in the sky to the shape of the mountains to the way lava flows, everything is based on geometry. Now, when he first proposed this, people thought he was insane. They actually just completely rejected him. But within a few short years, the scientific world realized that Mandelbrot was right. Fractals can identify cancer cells in a body simply by analyzing the flow of blood through the body. Streams and rivers flow in a fractal way. Leaves are fractal, lightning is fractal the human body is fractal wings spores viruses coastlines planets galaxies our skeletal system every single thing that you can see and think of is based on fractal geometry even the crashing of the waves when they come in are based on fractal geometry now with the advent of the use of computers for tvs and movies You almost cannot get a job in the movie industry as a graphics designer without understanding the use of fractal geometry. The first time, believe it or not, that fractal algorithms were used in a movie was in Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, to produce the Genesis Effect. If you all saw that, I love Star Trek. Later, in the movie The Return of the Jedi, fractals were used to create the geography of the moon that we saw in there, and also the... the the dreaded Death Star that went around zapping planets out of existence. And fractal signals can also be used to model natural objects. So it allows filmmakers to define the environment in a way with much higher accuracy than they ever were before in filming industry. Now having told you about fractal geometry, I thought that I'd take a moment and tell you about a supposition that a biologist uh, made about the form of a virgin forest. I watched this on PBS and I was astonished at their thinking. He determined that if you cut down a single tree in a virgin forest and measure that single tree, you could estimate the sizes of every tree in the entire forest. So they went down, these guys, he and a a team of people flew down to South America and they cut down a single tree and they measured every branch from the biggest branches on the bottom to the littlest twigs all the way up to the top of the tree. And then they made a size guess about the entire forest based on their measurements. And after this they mapped out the trunk sizes of all of the trees in the forest from the littlest saplings coming out of the ground to the largest behemoth trees that were around this one tree that they had cut down and the result was a perfect match and they figured this even before it occurred. The amazing thing to me though is not that they figured this out because we already had the proof of fractal geometries but they said how marvelous it was that nature had evolved in such a way as to produce fractal geometry in the shape of a forest. They attributed to random chance that which clearly comes from an intelligent being. So I don't want anybody ever to tell me that the average scientist is any smarter than the average cinder block. It's not gonna happen. (laughs) Unbelievable. There's one more area where geometric mathematics prove the amazing intelligence of God. And this is to me the most astonishing study of all. We can look to the pages of the Bible to demonstrate the pre planned landscape of God. There was a man named Gaon of Vilna, and he told a guy named Baruch of Shaklav, the translator of Euclid's geometry into Hebrew, that to the degree that man is lacking wisdom of mathematics, he will lack 100-fold in the wisdom of the Torah. And a guy named Vernon Jenkins, who was the mathematics professor at the University of Glamorgan in Scotland, who is a personal friend of mine, has be, he says that the Bible is a, a self-authenticating text and he has produced an amazing amount of geometric information from the Bible. And I can tell you that his studies from Genesis 1-1 alone could take many courses at the university level just to get started on what he's done. Here are his concluding remarks. The evidences of deep design in the Bible's opening words throw a completely new light on the true status of the Judeo-Christian scriptures for who alone is capable of simultaneously speaking into existence a meaningful sentence copiously embroidered with such a variety of significant number structures, these incorporating the author's own signature. The first day ends and God saw that it was good. Point number two today is the firmament above. Now, here's a question. As you've read the Bible, have you ever wondered why people could live to ancient ages before the flood or why the rainbow didn't show up until after the flood? The first rainbow was 1,657 years after the creation. And the reason is most assuredly given to us in verses six through eight of the creation account. It says, then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so, and God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. You cannot make a rainbow without a prism to refract the incoming light. In today's world, we have droplets of water in the air and they act like prisms. So when the sun shines through them, a rainbow is produced. When God created the earth, he made a firmament above it. And the Hebrew word is rechia. And this is supposed to be, we don't know this for certain, but it could have been a solid and fixed firmament. So you would think of it maybe like a pellucid sapphire that's up in the the sky above us. This waters above then is not just a fantasy of speech, but is an actual body of water which is frozen and it kept out all of the harmful solar and electromagnetic radiation. So what we would think of today is a super ozone layer. Because this Rechia was there, the light that's needed to produce a rainbow would not have been able to do refraction because the light was already refracted coming through the Rechia. When Noah stepped out of the ark for the first time, there was no Rechia and there would have been the gentle blue color to the sky that we now know. And what he saw in the sun was probably much brighter than he had ever seen before and we can although we can't know that he probably got a sunburn before he realized he needed suntan lotion. So the Rechia not only produced the appearance of the skies and the brightness of the Sun but the solar and electromagnetic magnetic rays that were kept out certainly would have allowed the people to live for exceptionally long periods of time. Nowadays we've got this thin little ozone layer and so it degrades our bodies much much quicker. And there is no reason at all to assume that people couldn't have lived to very great lengths of ages because of that Rechia. Now, if you add in the higher atmospheric pressure from a smaller Earth, which I won't discuss today, but it's something that we can suppose from the biblical account, the animals themselves would have lived to very long periods of time. Reptiles never stop growing. Any reptile on planet Earth, however old it is, continues to grow. If they lived for the thousands and thousands of years before the flood, then they could have grown to immense sizes. And that is exactly what the archeological record shows in the disappearance of dinosaurs. So day two ends without the great irresolvable problems that many people think the Bible holds. And in fact, they are reasonable and they are probable explanations for the past history of the world. Point number three today is the waters and the land. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters, he called seas and God saw that it was good. Now, if you remember the fractals that I mentioned just a little while ago, a computer generated fractal landscape looks exactly like a actual landscape. If you look at it on the uh, TV, you wouldn't even know you're looking at a, a computer generated landscape anymore. Whether it's a mountain scene is viewed from a valley or whether it's viewed from above and it has rivers and trees and valleys and everything else. These are produced with very simple computing devices. When God calculated the landscapes, the rivers, the trees, the gullies, the ditches, the mountains, the beaches, he did it not in two dimensions, but he did it in three dimensions. The great mathematician and the author of order brought the waters into submission at the feet of the land. Now here's a question, did you know that the waves on the seashore crash up onto the seashore 26 per minute in all kinds of weather? Doesn't matter what type of weather it is. Ever since the second day of creation, this has been happening in every coastline in the world, day in and day out, through storms and through gentle breezes, 26 waves to the minute crashing on the seashore. God asks Job, who has such knowledge? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To where were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all of the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with the doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garments and the thick darkness its swaddling band? when I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, when I said, this far you may come, but no farther, and here your proud waves must stop. These are rhetorical questions and the answer shouts back to us, it is the Lord God Almighty. That's who has this wisdom. 6,000 years ago, through the use of mathematics that are so complicated that we could not even see them, much less understand them, God created order. And not just order that we can see, we have order that we can hear, we can smell, we can taste, we can feel it, and we can enjoy it. All for mathematics. So the next time we pick a flower, we need to revel in the immense beauty of the highly complicated mathematical calculation that's in our hands. One that a loving creator placed right in our midst. And anyone who says, how I hate mathematics has never really appreciated the taste of a really good apple. All of this beauty, all of it comes around around us from the land and out of the waters and a stable platform for the life that we enjoy was prepared. As anxious as the creation was, it was getting ready for the expected guests that God was going to provide for it and God saw that it was good. Point number four today, splashed with a thousand shades of green. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself and on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. One of my favorite things in the whole world, and I said this in a sermon at Grace Baptist last week, is bread. And my wife knows that if she heats up 10 pieces of bread with dinner, that's all I'm gonna eat. I'll skip everything else. The third day is when the bread of life came forth as wheat, just as Jesus, the bread of life came forth from the tomb on the third day after his cross. The bread of life who is Jesus rose to nourish the earth with the power of his resurrection. And this is the blessing that we give over the bread even to this day when communion is taken. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. On the third day, there was grass, herbs, plants, trees, and fruit. Everything that man would need for the next 1650 plus years was created on day three. And the reason why I say that is because it wasn't until after the flood that God ordained that man could eat meat. But by the end of the third day, things on the earth had changed immensely from the way they were just two short days earlier it was extravagantly beautiful and only on day three of creation does it say twice that god saw everything and said it was good ketov in hebrew only on day three of creation and it is for this reason that many jewish people choose tuesday to get married on if God said it was good on Tuesday, then it seems propitious enough to set your wedding day for a Tuesday. So just think of what it was like. At the beginning of this day, there was just land and there was sea. There was nothing alive, nothing growing, just a barren landscape waiting for the master gardener to dazzle us with his magnificent mind in the most amazing display display of wisdom, love, tender care, and beauty. God created grass, he created fruit, herbs, trees everything and i think that the world must have been absolutely unbelievable in perfect order perfection in every bewildering way possible everything was splashed with green and it was perfect and it was unsullied here are some of the interesting things that we have to this day from god's wisdom which was created on day three of creation each watermelon has an even number of stripes on its rind each orange has an even number of segments Each ear of corn has an even number of rows. Every bunch of banana on its lowest row has an even number of banana, and the number decreases by one with each row so that they fit in between each other, odd and then even, and then odd and then even. Every stalk of wheat has an even number of grains on it. And not only wheat, but all grains are found in even numbers on the stalks. And six times the Bible specifically mentions harvests of even numbers, which are 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. God has caused the flowers to blossom at certain specific times so that Linnaeus, who was the great botanist, said once that if he had a conservatory containing the right kind of soil, the right kind of moisture, and the right temperature, he could tell the exact time of day simply by which flowers were open and which ones were closed. Now, one of my favorite flowers on the entire earth is known as the night-blooming cirrus, and it's a plant that's native right here to Sarasota. It's a snake-like cactus that grows up the side of, say, cedar trees and pine trees and and uh, palm trees. Most people, when they buy a house, they tear it down because it's ugly and they don't know what it is. But every year, about May, on this thin snake-like cactus, and, they like say, there's hundreds of them going up the side of trees, these little white cotton balls start forming. And what happens is over the next few weeks, the cotton ball gets bigger and bigger and eventually a flower grows out and it gets about this long. And the flowers, when the sun, when the moon is full at the end of May or early June, the flowers will open up as the sun is going down and they will follow the moon across the sky. And then when the sun goes, comes up, the flowers will close and they will die. Around the world, there are fruits to delight there are flowers to please our smell and our sight. There are grains of every kind to feed us each day and there are grasses for the horses. We call them hay. Trees give us wood to build all kinds of things and they give us shade for sermons and for Angelica when she sings. All of this comes from the Lord Almighty who is marvelous in wisdom and perfect in his tender care of his creatures. Creatures, And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day point number 5 today diamonds in the sky then god said let there be lights in the firmaments of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let there be signs that them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and it was so then god made the two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. On the first Wednesday that the world ever existed, these diamonds were revealed up in the sky. And even if there was a solid, frozen firmament of water above the earth, it was certainly clear enough to allow the stars to be seen. And in fact, it has been theorized, this is all speculation that the Rechia, which was the waters above, may actually have acted like a tuning device so that sound of the heavens may have been audible to the pre-flood world. If this is true, then an orchestra of pulsars and of magnetic storms and all of the other cosmic events which go on around us that we don't hear may have actually played tunes for the people as they lived out their lives before the flood. It also may have actually made the stars clearer than the sky that we have now. And the reason for this is that today we have dust and debris and all of this stuff which is in the atmosphere and it makes it more turbid than what it would have been with the Rechia in place. As I said, this is all speculation, but for certain we do know that the stars were visible on this particular day of creation. The Bible says that these were set in place for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. The Hebrew word for sign is ot, And this signifies a heavenly portent. Throughout the Bible, heavenly signs are given to alert the people of divine events, such as when Jesus was born. Now, this does not mean that we can either predict the future with these or we can tell the nature of things like through the zodiac or horoscope or anything like that. That's forbidden in the Bible, so please don't get that in your head. But these signs can be used to determine God's hand when the signs are in his word and they tell us about something that has come or something that is coming. Like when God spoke through Israel about the coming King Jesus. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him will be the obedience of the people. It's believed that the star that was prophesied here back in Genesis chapter 49, is the same one that appeared when Jesus was born. And this alignment prophesied by Israel told us of the coming Messiah. The constellations were placed in the heavens by God as well. They are not an invention of man. A lot of people say, well, they were Greek inventions or something, but rather they were placed in the sky by God. In the book of Job, several constellations are named and they are credited to God's handiwork. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He made the bear and Orion and the Pleiades and the chambers of the south. He does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. In addition to these signs and these constellations, the Lord placed the heavenly objects up in the sky for seasons and for days and for years. And as they whirl around us, the Mayans were able to look out at the stars and they were able to calculate a calendar that is good to within one day in 6,000 years we have to add one day every four years so that shows you the precision of what god has placed above us if we'll simply look out and they did this with just sticks and and you know maybe shells to hold up and calculate where the uh, stars were at any given time one day in six thousand years by evaluating the movement of the sun the moon and the stars we can tell when to plant we can tell when to reap we can tell when we should have children The cycle is fixed and so we can always tell the right time to do certain things. And by the alignment of the stars, the the ancient architects could build the pyramids and they could build tombs for kings in perfect alignment with true north or with certain constellations or whatever they were referencing so perfectly that even to this day, we have trouble doing what they do just simply by looking out at the stars. And we could talk all day about the marvels of the heavens that God has placed above us. Even on the clearest night, the human eye can only see about 3,000 stars in the sky. But there are an estimated 100 billion stars in our galaxy alone, and NASA says that there are quite possibly 500 billion galaxies floating around out there. When you look at Andromeda, which is our closest galactic neighbor, it is 2.3 million light years away, which means that the light, the time for the light to get to us would take 2.3 million years for that light from Andromeda to reach us here on planet earth and if God created the universe 6,000 years ago as I believe he did personally then the light that you are seeing from Andromeda actually comes from the mind of God as he stretched out the heavens above us as it says in the psalm that I read earlier. If you could travel at 100,000 miles per hour, or at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per hour, it would take 100,000 years just across our one galaxy. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Thus ends the first Wednesday on planet earth. And all of this majesty was placed in the heavens and on the earth by an infinitely intelligent and loving creator. But something happened not too long after creation And it has put a divide between us and God. And that is when sin entered the stream of mankind, when Adam rebelled against God. And so I'd like to take just a moment, and if anybody here has never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would like to give that to you. There is a rift between us and God. Every one of us, if we are truly honest with ourselves, has sinned. We've either told a lie or we've thought some wicked thought about another person, whatever, it is sin. It separates us from God. And what God did is he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that we cannot live. The same God that spoke this universe into existence, sent his son in the form of man to live that life and then to give his own life up as a ransom for ours. And if we simply call on the name of Jesus Christ by faith, God promises that just as he created the universe by the breath of his mouth, he will also redeem us and he will give us everlasting life by faith in the deeds of Jesus Christ. So the Bible says that we have all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God, but that we can be reconciled through Jesus' atoning sacrifice. And the gift of God is eternal life through him. So I would ask if you have never asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and savior, if you wanna talk about that more after the sermon, come on up to me and we'll talk about it. But God sent his own son into the world for you and for me. So, thank you very much for being here today. We'll go ahead and have one more song and we'll have communion and then we'll all be out of here.
1: Looking up at the painted sky Made me wanna wonder why you breathe the stars Made this all for me. Thinking to ponder now, and that made me wonder how you'd send your son to someone like me. I know I messed up in the past, but that just makes me have to ask why you would take the time to notice me. Before, I knew your name. You fashioned me such a way that I cannot describe. Cause I'm speechless. You lit me all so perfectly. You gave me legs to walk. And air to breathe. Such a simple love shows me that I'm fearfully a wonderfully made.